I don't ever talk about perfect marriages. I talk about growing marriages. You keep your marriage growing, 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 growing through that second half, and you're, you're giving your grandchildren a model of what a Christian marriage is all about. That was Dr. Gary Chapman addressing the 2016 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. We'll hear more from Dr. Chapman in a moment. But first, welcome to Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. I'm Wayne Rice, Conference Director for the Legacy Coalition, and I'm joined once again by our Legacy Coalition founder and CEO, Larry Fowler. Hey, Larry. Hey, Wayne. (laughs) And also, John Colomb is here, who serves as our Director of Development for the Legacy Coalition. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Thank you, Wayne. Great. You know, we've been featuring on these podcasts some highlights from past uh, summit conferences. And uh, one of the highlights was having Dr. Gary Chapman at our uh, conference back in 2016. He's probably best known for his book, The Five Love Languages. Uh, I think he brings it up in his talk, and so I'll, I'll let him do that. But uh, you guys, said that, did you read uh, The Five Love Languages? I know I did way back when. Yes, I did way back. And then, you know, Love Languages 2, Love Languages 3. I mean, he's he's written it for every age group, which has been great to help adapt. Yeah, there's there's a whole uh, franchise on the five love languages. He's <laughs> he's turned that into quite a quite an industry, actually. But um, but I think, you know, our our. Uh, uh, assignment. I think. I think our wives probably assigned it to us uh, way back when. That we had to learn. We had to learn what their love language was. Yes. <laughs> and because uh, uh, for me, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, my I think m- m- the way I understood you, the way you you gave love to somebody is you did stuff for them. You know. So in in Gary's way of putting it, those are acts of service. You know. You like my dad never really talked much about how much he loved us. He just showed us that he loved us by what he did for us. And uh, it was sacrificial love. And um, and I've always thought that's the way you show love. And I discovered my wife needed something very different. Um, she needed words. You know, she needed romance. She needed, um, you know, affection, uh physical touch, those kinds of things that are all, those are also love languages. What love language do you guys speak? Yeah. And, and Wayne, if you and Marcy uh, figured that out, it probably wasn't in the first week or two of marriage. Probably took a while. (laughs) No, no, no. It took me a while to understand (laughs) Diane's love language. And, and so hers is also acts of service. That's the way that she shows love and receives love. Mine, mine is words of affirmation. I, I want people to tell me. And in fact, yeah. I don't want just people to tell me. I want them to gather a crowd and tell everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the way I'm wired. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, words, I guess we're in the same wavelength there. Actually, I have a secondary language, too. I, and I think it's time, which is ironic because... I'm always being accused of being late, uh, but it's because I'm spending time with people and they're spending time with me. Uh, but affirmation, words, I love words. In fact, I can get lost in in a word and start investigating what does that really mean, but it goes way beyond 
the definition to just the affirmation of of encouragement. And uh, I I needed a lot of that as a kid growing up because um, I'm a slow learner <laughs> and I needed to know I was going the right direction at times. And I'll never forget, I was in high school in band playing in the uh, Pendleton Roundup, Roundup Parade, the Westward Ho Parade, when the wind blows my hat off, we had plumes. Remember those plumes? <laughs> I'm playing my trombone, and we've had 3,000 horses, Indians on horses, in front of us, and we're wearing <laughs> white bucks. A wide world of sports is shooting as we come around the corner, and my slide, when I grab my hat, my slide from my trombone goes into the stuff on the ground. And my dad's on the side of the street saying, pick it up, Johnny, and keep playing. <laughs> but those, you know, words of affirmation uh, just are really what um, stoke my life and encourage me and motivate me. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we're going to listen to uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, who uh, wrote the book and uh, lots of, I think he, he mentions uh, how many books that he sold, but uh, they're, they're there have been a, a, a lot. And uh, let me just introduce him, and then we'll listen to him, and then uh, we'll come back and, and uh, talk about what he has to say. Dr. Gary Chapman holds BA and MA degrees in anthropology from Wheaton College and from Wake Forest University. He has MRE and PhD degrees from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's completed postgraduate work at the University of North Carolina and Duke. Uh, he's the senior associate pastor, uh, continues to be uh, involved in ministry at Calvary Baptist Church Wayne, in Win. Yes. 50 years at that same church, 50, <laughs> 1971. I remember asking him about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's still at it there in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He also hosts a nationally syndicated radio program, which airs on uh, something like 400 radio stations across the country. As we've mentioned, he's uh, authored a best-selling book. He travels all over the world speaking on marriage and family relationships. Here is Dr. Gary Chapman. Well, we've been, uh, we've been talking today about uh, grandparenting and the role of grandparenting, and uh, I want to talk to you about your marriage, because I believe that the greatest gift you can give your grandchildren is a model of a grandfather and a grandmother who love each other, support each other, care for each other, are there for each other, and are both walking and following God. I don't know anything greater you can do than that. You know, about three years ago, Dr. Harold Myra and I teamed up. Harold Myra was for 30 years with Christianity Today magazine. We teamed up to try to discover what are the characteristics of marriages in the second half that are thriving and not just surviving. You know, I see this often, couples in the second half of marriage who are just living as roommates. They try to be civil to each other, and uh, they try to process life together, but they're not connected. They're just living as roommates. But we wanted to know, what are the characteristics of those that are thriving in the second half? We ended up writing a book called, what was it called? Uh, 
I'll think of the title later. But at any rate, <laughs> when you have so many babies, you forget their names. At any rate, I'm going to share with you five things that we discovered. One of them is that they keep emotional love alive in their relationship. You know, you come down off the emotional high of being in love after two years, and then you have to learn how to love each other. And many of those folks have used the five love languages. Many of you have told me how you've used the five love languages, say, connected in your marriage relationship. It's been very, very encouraging to me see how, to see how God has used that book. Sold over 11 million copies now in English, translated in 50 languages around the world. People say, Gary, how do you account for that? And I say, the short answer is God. And the long answer is God. And I know that many of you have discovered that. But I don't know if you've ever thought about how important it is that your grandchildren see you loving each other. And to explain to your grandchildren why you do what you do for each other. Let's say, for example, that, uh, that, that the husband is washing dishes and the grandchildren are there. And the grandmother says to the grandchild or the grandchildren, depending on how many are there, and she says to them, do you know why grandfather washes dishes? And whatever they say, she says to them, it's because he loves grandmother. And grandmother's love language is acts of service. That means you do things for people. And he's washing dishes because he knows that makes me feel loved. So you're explaining to them why you do what you do to love each other. And do you, do, you know, do you know why, you know why grandmother gives Papa a back rub? You saw me why giving him a back rub? You know why I do that? Because his love language is physical touch, and I want him to feel loved. And then I hope you know your children's love language, your grandchildren's love language. If I ask you right now to give the names of your children and tell, grandchildren and tell me what their love language, would you be able to do that? Because they need to receive love from you as well. And if you don't know then I noticed out there on the table, they have the five love languages of children, the five love languages of teenagers, and that'll help you learn the love language of your children, uh, whether they're teenagers or whether they're younger than that. But I believe that uh, one of the, one of the uh, characteristics of marriages in the second half that are thriving is they are loving each other. They're keeping emotional love alive. The second characteristic is that they learn how to apologize and forgive. The reason this is so important is because there are no perfect husbands and wives. Now, one man did raise his hand when the speaker said, does anyone know of a perfect husband? One man shot his hand right up. He said, my wife's first husband. <laughs> my observation is if there are any perfect husbands, they are deceased. And most of, most of them got perfect after they died. You don't have to be perfect to have a good marriage, but you do have to deal effectively with your failures. And that means that you have to apologize and you have to forgive. And so if the grandchildren are around and they hear one of you raise your voice at the other or say something rather sharp to the other, I hope they also hear you apologize. Not enough just to apologize to your spouse in private, if the grandchildren heard you, you need to apologize to them. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever apologized to your grandchildren. But if you haven't, you're probably overdue because you're not perfect. All of us need to be forgiven. 
I remember when Davy Grace was about uh, four years old, maybe five. She was visiting with us. We were keeping her for a few days. And she knew that Carolyn had a sticker drawer. And so she asked her grandmother if she could have some stickers. And Carolyn said, honey, you can have three. You can pick any three you want. You can have three. Well, I came home, I guess, half hour later, and I was walking through the house, and there were stickers on everything. Stickers on the chairs and stickers, just stickers everywhere. I said, Carolyn, what's the deal with the stickers? She said, what do you mean? I said, there's stickers everywhere. And she started looking, and she looked at Davy Grace, and she said, Davy Grace, grandmother told you you could have three stickers, and you got stick, you got took many stickers. And Davy Grace started crying, and she said, I need somebody to forgive me. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, all of us need somebody to forgive us. I'm so grateful that my wife forgave me for all the junk that I dumped out on her in the early years of our marriage because we had tremendous struggles in our marriage. That's probably why I do what I've done through the years in terms of marriage ministry is we had so many problems in our own marriage. We have to learn to apologize, and we have to learn to forgive, and our grandchildren ought to hear us do that. Third characteristic we found is that in those couples that are thriving in the second half, they've come not only to accept the things that irritated them in the early years, they've come to laugh about them. Accept and laugh about the things that irritated them in the early years. You know, one of the things that irritated me in our marriage in the early years was the way, way my wife loaded the dishwasher. I'm an organized person. I believe there's a place for everything. And I believe if you put the things in there right, they'll all be clean. My wife loaded a dishwasher like she's playing Frisbee. I mean, <laughs> irritated me to death. And we had so many conversations, arguments about that. And I would explain to her why it was so important. You know, these spoons with peanut butter between them, they're not going to be clean in the morning, and you're going to break the glasses. And, and then I would bring in a little scripture because I was in graduate school and seminary, you know. <laughs> God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And, you know, we, we, we went through that for so many days and weeks. And finally she said to me one day, she said, you know, honey, if that's so important to you, why don't you just load the dishwasher? I've been loading it now for 45 years. <laughs> but I had to agree that on the, on the nights I had to leave right after dinner, and she had to load it, that in the morning when I unload it, because I'm a morning person and I'm the unloader, I had to know that if she loaded it, there's going to be peanut butter between those two spoons. And I just learned how to soak them and put them back in there. And, you know, and I realized we can buy another glass if she breaks one, you know. But... In fact, the other day, I had, I had to leave after dinner, and the next morning I was unloading the dishwasher that she loaded, and there was a case knife laying horizontal. And I'm thinking, how'd that thing stay there all night long? You come to laugh about those things. And then, you know, I'm a morning person, and she was a night person, and I had these visions when we got married that every morning we're going to have breakfast together, and then we're going to have devotions together. We're going to start our morning off together. After we got married, I found out she didn't do mornings, <laughs> and it irritated me. And I told her, you know, God rises in the morning. You know, he made the sun to get up, and 
But you know now, every once in a while, she has to get up early because she's got something she's got to go to. And the other morning was one of those mornings, and we were both in the kitchen together at the same time. And, and I turned one way, and I hit my shoulder, you know, on the, on the, the, the door she had left open. Uh, of the, you know, and, and I came up and hit my head over here on the door she left open, and I just started laughing. And I said, Carolyn, honey, I'm so glad you're not a morning person. <laughs> you know, I, I get to come in here every morning by myself, just me and God, and we just have a good time in here together. And, and, and I'm just glad you're not a morning person. We come to, to laugh about the things that irritated us in those early years. And then a fifth thing that we uh, fourth thing, I'm sorry, fourth thing we found out about couples that are thriving in the second half is they... they uh, they keep adventure in their marriage. They don't allow themselves to get into a rut. Uh, you know, Paul Tournay, Swiss, uh, Swiss psychiatrist, said this, to make a success of one's marriage, one must trust, one must treat it as an adventure. The surrendered life is an adventure because it's always on the alert, listening to God, Saying yes to God is saying yes to life. You know, I've always admired Caleb. Remember him? 85 years old. They're getting ready to go into the land of Israel. And he says, give me that mountain. He was 85. He said, I'm as strong as I ever was. He was lying, but he, you know, he said, I'm a <laughs> I like that spirit. You know, we're creatures of habit, and we tend to get into ruts. And we just do the same old thing over and over again. But marriages that are thriving in the second half will keep adventure in, in their marriage. Now, for some of you, uh, th that just may be driving a different way to the grocery store. <laughs> you go the same old way every time you go, or it may be going to a different restaurant. You know, you got those four restaurants you go to all the time. Maybe try a different restaurant. Or maybe you should just visit another church once a, once a year and just go somewhere else and watch the way they worship over there. Or maybe you could volunteer to work in the local, local soup kitchen together. Do something that you don't ordinarily do. Uh, once a year, you might also uh, just think about uh, taking a train ride to somewhere. Doesn't matter where you're going, just take a train ride to somewhere. Doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You know... Uh, my wife and I thought one time we were just going to go back to where we had our honeymoon, our first honeymoon night. So we checked it all out, and they had torn down the hotel. <laughs> and in this adventure thing, you, you can begin to bring your grandchildren into that too as they get a little older. My, uh, 12, he was 12 years old when he said to me, uh, or I said to him, I said, there, uh, Elliot, I said, uh, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? He said, Papa, I'd like to go to the Brazilian rainforest. I said, well, that's interesting, man. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, I didn't say anything further than that. About a month later, I get a letter, an email from my Brazilian publisher. And they said, we're going to release another one of your books down here. And uh, we'd like you to come down and do a book tour in Brazil. And I said, uh, well... If I can bring my 12-year-old grandson, and if when I finish the speaking tour, you will arrange for us to have two days in the rainforest, I'll do it. And they said, we'll do it. 
So here we go to Brazil. We speak in three, three major cities, and then they take us up to Manaus, and they give us two days in the rainforest. And we go out on a little boat that the Assembly of God people have there, and they took us out on the boat to the river people where the houses sit on the river and rise when the river rises. And then they showed us the, the school boat. It was yellow, just like a school bus. It goes by and picks up the kids and takes them off to school. And, and then, we, then they let us loose out in the rainforest. And we saw the wild monkeys and the alligators and the snakes and, and all that stuff. Woo! Adventure! Uh, I, I know that you can't, everybody can't do that, you know. I couldn't have done that if they hadn't invited me to do it. I took my grandson with me also the last time I went out to focus on the family. And we went over to, uh, went over to the academy on Sunday morning, and we worshiped in the academy, the Air Force Academy. And it was a great experience. Watch those cadets go down and take communion that Sunday morning. I mean, it was just a great experience. And uh, then I took him over to... Uh, the Navigator Headquarters, Glen Erie. Any of you ever been to Glen Erie? I spent a summer there in 1960 after I finished Wheaton College. And so I took him over there, and we walked around the area, and I said, now, Elliot, I want to show you something. You see that rock over there in that, in that dry moat? That's, that's where Papa learned one of the biggest lessons he's ever learned in his life. I'd already told him that I spent that whole summer out there in the Navigator training program. And the training program involves you work eight hours doing something, and then you have a Bible study group every week, and then you have a personal mentor that meets with you once a week. And that was the pattern. I explained all that to him. I said, now, when Papa got here, they put him in the print shop. And his job, my job, was to take these big sheets of paper and run them through this folder and it folded it about eight times and brought it down to these little small places. You remember the little beginning with Christ packet? Some of you remember those? And I said that, that was the job they gave Papa. And he, they showed me how to run the machine. You've got to have the right pressure on all the rollers. And I said, you know, Papa just finished college, and he felt like he pretty, pretty much knew everything, and he could pretty much you know, do whatever needed to be done. So they gave me instructions on how to do it, and I tried all day long. and I couldn't get it to work. And every sheet of paper they went through came out crooked. And I said, next morning they showed me again how to do it. Papa worked all day long. I couldn't get it to come out right. And so besides that, there was a guy there named Harry so uh, Soderholm. And he came up and hit me on the shoulder and said, hallelujah, brother. And, and when he would leave, Papa would say, oh, man, get out of here. And I said, Papa, the third day, Papa did the same thing. The fourth day, Papa did the same thing. I said, the fifth morning... I was sitting on that rock, and I was having my quiet time with God. And I read John 15, verse 5, and I read it to him, where Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I said, Papa started crying. And I said to God, oh, Lord, I can't even run a dumb folder without you. And I'm going to ask you this morning to show me how to run that folder. And I said, Papa went in there. Man, that thing just went like that. And all summer long, I ran that folder. And I said, that's one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. Without God, we can do nothing. You see, we bring our kids in on our adventure, 
And while we're taking adventures, we teach our kids things along the way. Carol and I took our two kids down to where we grew up. We grew up in the same little town, and we walked the streets together with them, and we explained to them what happened here and what happened there. How many of you have done that? that? That's an exciting thing to do with your grandchildren. Yeah. And, you know, as a couple, if you grew up in different places, it wouldn't be bad to go back to your home places and kind of walk through what happened back there growing up if you hadn't done that in a while. Because I tell you, if you did it when you were 20, they forgot about it. So you need to do it again, okay? So adventure, keeping adventure in your marriage and keeping advent- and doing adventurous things with your grandchildren. Uh, and then the fourth thing, we, the fifth thing we found out is for couples that are thriving in their marriage is they're committed to God and to marriage. The vast majority of people who are thriving in the second, at least the ones we interviewed, have a deep commitment to God and have a deep commitment to their marriage. Thus, they're resilient. They've gone through difficult times in life. In fact, most people don't get to the second half of marriage unless they've gone through some difficult times in their lives. It's not difficult times that destroy marriages. If we have a commitment to God, Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. If we have a deep commitment to God and a deep commitment to marriage, that is, we see marriage as a covenant, not a contract. It's not, I'll do this if you do that. No, no, no. It's, I'm committed to loving you, encouraging you, and helping you. It's that deep, deep commitment that to marriage and to God that helps us thrive in the second half of marriage. You know, in the second half of that book, uh, we talked about the joys and, the, and not only the joys, but we talked about the challenges of the second half of marriage. There are many, many challenges we face in the second half. We face health challenges. My wife and I, four years ago, went through a cancer experience with her and a whole year of chemotherapy. I'm in a deep, 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 deep valley. But she came out of it. She's doing great, doing fine, doing wonderful. Many of you have been through health challenges in the second half. If you have not, you will go through health challenges in the second half. And then we go through surviving the decisions of our adult children. When our adult children, whom we've trained and done everything we know to do, make decisions that break our hearts. We face that. We face the whole challenge of of retirement. Are we going to retire? Are we not going to retire? And we suggest there's three questions you ought to ask. One is, why why are you going to retire? Is there a reason? There are good reasons to retire. Is it health? Is it you're living in an oppressive workplace? You You ought to have a reason why you're retiring. And then second, you ought to know what you're going to do when you retire. If you do, what are you going to do? People that don't have plans on what they're going to do don't live very long. And then you ought to ask them, are we financially able to retire? People ask me what I'd like to do if I retire. I say, I'd like to do what I'm doing, you know. If you like to do what you're doing, why would you want to retire? But there, there's a place for retirement, I mean, from, from whatever job you've been doing. But you ought to be plugging in somewhere else if you're going to retire. There's a whole question of where are you going to live? 
Second half, people move. Sometimes they move to be closer to their, ch- to their grandchildren. That's a, that's a good thing to do. Of course, what happens is your grandchildren, then they'll all move in about two years, and then you're stuck out there in the middle of somewhere. Uh, you know, you, some of you have been there. But, uh, but we, we deal with those common, common things that we face in that second half of marriage. But I want to challenge you. Wherever you are in the journey, and remember, marriage is always a process. I don't ever talk about perfect marriages. I talk about growing marriages. You keep your marriage growing, 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 growing through that second half, and you're, you're giving your grandchildren a model of what a Christian marriage is all about. And, and let's face it, some of your grandchildren and certainly some of the grandchildren in your churches are living in homes where the father's left, and they're living with a single mom. And you granddads play a key role in those children's lives. Every, every child needs to have someone who's given them a model of what a Christian husband looks like and a Christian father looks like, and you play a key role in that. So I, I hope, that, uh, hope that you uh, have found this helpful. I hope that you will think in terms of being a model. You know, I've always asked myself this question. The most sobering question I ever asked myself as our children were growing up, what if my children grow up to have a marriage just like mine? Would I be happy with that? And until you can say I would be happy with that, then you ought to be working on the things that you're not happy about. And the same thing is true with our grandchildren. If my grandchildren grew up to have a marriage just like mine, would I be happy about that? That'll keep you moving. That'll keep you growing in our relationship with each other. All right, that was Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, There was something a little different for the uh, Legacy Grandparenting Summit. Uh, Rather than talking about grandparenting directly, he uh, spoke about marriage, the importance of keeping your marriage healthy for the sake of your grandchildren. Larry, John, any... uh, any thoughts on, on what you heard? And by the way, the, the book title that he forgot during his message there, I looked it up. It's Married and Still Loving It. <laughs> That's the name of the book that he wrote with, with Gary Chapman uh, and Harold Myra as co-authors. But uh, your thoughts? Well, I, I think we'll probably walk through his points here a little bit. But the very first one, let your grandchildren see you, that you love each other. Um, I don't know what it was for you guys, but I don't ever recall seeing my grandparents hug. Mm-hmm. I don't ever recall that. In fact, I don't, I don't know if I recall seeing my parents hug. You know, it was just something that you didn't do when you got further along in the marriage process. And I, I think, wow, you know, if there's, if there's anything that we want our, grandchildren to see. We do want them to be able to see with their eyes how much we love each other. And of course, I love hugging Diane. So uh, (laughs) I'm very, very willing to follow that one and do that one. That was an era as well when, you know, children should be seen and not heard. But I think parents and adults should, would not, as far as love expressions, not seen or heard. (laughs) That was all for the bedroom. That was all for privacy. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, Gary Chapman said sometimes you need to interpret for your 
grandchildren, uh, the love language that your spouse is, is actually speaking, you know, where he gave the illustration that, that, uh, you know, see how your grandfather is, uh, is doing the dishes for me, you know, um, that that's because he loves me and he's doing it as a way of showing his love. I had a, we had a friend in Santa Barbara where we used to serve on our marriage tune-up team. And he was from Italy. His name was Guido. And Guido just couldn't find the words that his wife needed because her love language was affirmation. And when she got cancer and had to stay in the bed in the bedroom, his was acts of service. And he, the kids all of a sudden saw dad and granddad planting flowers right outside her window doing those kind of things. And uh, we watched the love languages actually in action, you know, for those who have a hard time using words or those kind of emotional expressions, you know, instead of judging, you know, realize how they're made yeah. and how they're wired. How long have you guys been married? Jackie, what? how long have we? <laughs> <laughs> 47 <laughs> years for Diane and I, Wayne. 53 yeah. years for us. 53. How about you? Yeah. Uh, 55. And uh, in fact, our wedding anniversary falls on, usually it always falls on the same weekend as the Super Bowl. And uh, we've been married the same number of years as there are Super Bowls. So, I mean, this year was Super Bowl 55. We've been married 55 years. Very convenient oh, for learning, is. for remembering how sure. many years. So it's our, our anniversary is always in Roman numerals. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's, but that's the way, that's the way I, I uh, remember. Uh, but, you know, just longevity in marriage in itself is a, is a, is a pretty neat thing to be able to um, put on display for your grandchildren. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I've told my brothers and I, in fact, have kind of a pact with each other that, uh, and we, we made, when our sister got married, we made her husband uh, kind of join in on our little pact. And that is first guy to get divorced. Uh, you know, we're going to, the other three, we'll, we'll take them out and, and uh, string them up. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, a fun type threat, you know, but, but the basis for it is we look back on our family tree and our parents did not divorce and neither did either of our grandparents. And uh, so there was a family history, a legacy uh, that we want, we want, wanted to preserve. Mm. And, um, and, uh, you know, Gary talked a little bit about how our commitment to marriage is a is a very important part of of this whole process, and so we've we've tried to be as committed to marriage as we are to each other. Well, they used to we used to hear way back, um, you know, the best thing a parent can do for their children is to love their mother or their father, and I think that comes right over into the next generation. The best thing a grandparent can do for the kids and the grandkids is to love each other, especially as the outer man begins to decay, <laughs> as we begin to lose some of the strength and some of the, even maybe especially our minds when memory begins to go, to watch a husband or wife lovingly care for the other. Um, well, I have a great... I have a great story about that. Um, you, 
we're good friends, but I doubt that you guys have ever heard this story. Um, Diane's parents were married for 60 some years and her grandparents too. And her grandparents both got Alzheimer's at the same time. Hmm. And grandma passed away before grandpa did. But um, when he had Alzheimer's, but she had it worse and she was in a hospital bed, nothing more than just a bag of bones. You know, her body had withered down to almost nothing. Diane went to visit her. And I, w- I want you to picture this in your mind. Diane went to visit her, and here she is laying in bed about 80 pounds, uh, tubes coming out, her white hair uncombed, laying there in a fetal position. And life, for all intents and purposes, was over for Diane's grandma. Her, her grandpa was sitting on the edge of the bed when Diane walked in. And he didn't know that Diane had walked in, but she, what she observed, he was sitting there on the edge of a bed and he was caressing her arm and he was saying to her, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know what? It's, it's uh, like you say, John, we're, we're all, uh, deteriorating on on the outside but you know as as husbands and i assume as wives you know we don't see that you know and so it's easy to give to give love when you're nurturing it and you're um uh actively intentionally loving each other well and uh wayne Wayne, I think that we need to emphasize his third point as well. You know, the accept and laugh about the things that irritate you. <laughs> I, I think that there are a lot of grandparents that, as the years go by, actually get more irritated by the little things. And, and I, you know, I've seen it in public places. I've seen it in the grocery stores, haven't you? Yeah. A couple that look like they've been married a long time and they snip at each other and they, they just get on each other for the little things. They stay together, but marriage isn't very happy. Yeah. And I think to those listening to this podcast, we need to say to them, look, if that's you, if you get irritated about the little things, you need to stop it. You need to stop that, yeah. and you need to ex- follow Doctor, uh, uh, you know Gary's advice here, and accept and laugh about the things that is so important. You know, we um, yeah. when I was doing senior adult ministry at Fullerton, our our theme verse was Psalm ninety two: "The righteous man, woman, will be fruitful in old age to declare that the Lord is good and righteous." There's nothing bad in him. And we would draw the analogy of that, that the fruit closest to the sun is the sweetest. <laughs> so, you know, you need to go for the top of the tree when you're picking the fruit off because it's sun ripened, fresh and sweet. And and I think the closer we are to the Lord and, and these days create a, a greater dependence on him as we can't do what we always did and control what we always thought we could control. And uh, to just let the Lord bathe us in the sunlight and make us fresh and sweet, not bitter. You know, I was also thinking, um, psychologists will will say that, you know, there are five things everyone needs in their life to be healthy. And it was interesting that these all line up with that. Um, 
the first one, uh, loving each other. Well, we need love. We need to know that we're loved and we can love others. Forgiveness. Well, we need to get rid of guilt, freedom from guilt. That's the second. Then the third one you mentioned, Larry, accept and laughed about things that irritate you. Uh, we need acceptance as well. Recognition, affirmation. It's all part of the belonging. If you know that you belong to someone and you're acceptable and uh, affirmed and recognized, then you can laugh at those things. The fourth is keep adventure in the marriage. Well, the psychologists will say you need new experiences. You need freshness, new ideas, new experiences. And the last is security, commitment to God and to marriage. Uh, it, it lines up that what man will say we need for good health, God has already spoken to, and he's made us unique. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, well, um, we enjoyed uh, Gary Chapman then, and uh, he's still having a, a great impact years later as we uh, feature him on our podcast today. You know, the 2021 Legacy Grandparenting Summit is coming up in October, and we're going to have another great lineup of speakers and uh, artists including John Stone Street, Kevin Harper, Reggie Joyner, Kara Powell, Ken Davis, Valerie Bell, uh, great music from Fernando Ortega, the Isaacs, Scott Wesley Brown. Uh, all the information is on the LegacyCoalition.com website. Uh, you can register now for the conference in Birmingham or at a simulcast location because the uh, conference is going to be actually held in locations all over the country. Um, how about, about how many locations do we have right now, Larry? Uh, well, we have between 35 and 40, but we have a number that are considering it. So we're looking for that number to go up. And that is uh, some exciting news as we find even more and more churches that are wanting to be host sites for this and participate in this conference. Yeah. So if people want to register now um, and they can register maybe for the site that's closest to them. And if there's one that's even closer <laughs> that uh, comes up uh, in the next few months, they could always move it over. Right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes. So they could attend wherever it's most convenient, or they could go to Birmingham, which is uh, where the uh, the live conference is going to be held. Uh, any other news from the Legacy Coalition that we need to share with people, Larry? Well, that's what we have all hands on deck right now doing is, is uh, to be able to get those simulcast sites because we really want to reach thousands of grandparents all across the country with our message of being intentional Christian grandparents. But you know what? They can also, in addition to listening to this podcast, which is a free way to get more information about uh, about being a Christian grandparent, uh, they can also participate in our Grand Monday Nights. Every Monday night we have a webinar. So it's not just audio, it's video, and that's also free. And we're finding that more and more grandparents are using that even for their small groups to study together in their small groups. So check out our website. We have lots of resources for Christian grandparents. <laughs> that's great. Well, that wraps up uh, our Legacy Grandparenting podcast uh, for uh, this week. Until next time, this is Wayne Rice, Larry Fowler, and John Cologne saying so long and praying that you have a great week of intentional Christian grandparents.